0: righty. Lots of Bible verses today. I want to talk about what it means for us. Like, as we have gone on a bit of a journey where we've deconstructed faith a fair bit, and then as we put it back together again, like, there are pieces that we don't know how to rebuild. Uh, so I think that. Uh, like evangelism is one of those things that we don't quite know how to rebuild because what we used to have was very much this idea of you well maybe like maybe more generally for the church where you terrify people and then you know tell them God's angry with them and that Jesus will protect them and then you'd make them say a special formula prayer and they get saved and like we kind of evolved beyond that and then there was like way of the master type nonsense where you try to make people aware of how much they sinned and what the consequence of that is. And then, like, so as we've moved along in our journey, one of the things that, I, that we've clearly not done well, um, given by the empty seats, is to reconstruct what it means to evangelise as a community. So, like, the classic verses on evangelism, like, a, you know, the Great Commission. Uh, so, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Don't quite understand that bit. He's literally raised from the dead. They're doubting. Anyway, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that's like the classic New Testament Go and make disciples, and then in Acts one we have: "You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth." Uh, so from that, and then we add in the you know the Romans: "Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you'll be saved." And you have a perfect formula for evangelism, except that it doesn't really kind of fit with where we're at or what we see in Jesus. So I want to go back and say, well, what did Jesus do to evangelize? How did it work for Jesus? What was his uh, kind of his approach? So we end up in John uh, chapter one from verse 35 to 46. I'm going to read you a whole bit of this scripture. It says the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Because as it turns out, John was a total weirdo. Uh, And when his two disciples heard him say this, say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, what do you want? (laughs) They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? It's getting even more creepy. Uh, And Jesus says, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour and Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, you are Simon's son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So again and again, we get this idea of people following Jesus, coming to see Jesus, coming to journey and walk alongside and go back and see where he lives and see what he's about. They follow Jesus. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So straight up, I think it's pretty obvious to me that if we want to do faith right, if we want to be Christian, we have to follow Jesus. It's not enough just to kind of... Watch him. You've got to follow him. It's not enough to hear somebody else say, he's the Messiah. You've got to go after him. You have to follow Jesus. You've got to be creepy enough to say, where do you live? You've got to be in his space. Turning around, Jesus saw them and asked, what do you want? So here is our first lesson from Jesus. He doesn't turn around and say, I have all the answer to your problems. He asked them a question. He is immediately inquisitive. He is immediately engaged with who they are and what they're doing and where, what, what's going on for them. What do you want? I think that when we want to do evangelism, we want to reconstruct this idea of sharing our faith, we have to start with actually being interested in people. Because it's really easy to get stuck in a conversation with a religious or a Christian person and have them just talk at you. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says to them, what do you you want? We have to be having a conversation. We need to be compassionate. We need to seek to understand people, to listen to people. We need to recognise that sharing our faith is not a monologue. It is a relationship. Sharing our faith is part of a conversation that begins with compassion and understanding and then ends with redemption. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, come. And you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. And it was about the 10th hour. See, so Jesus invites them to come with him. This is this, the central element of witnessing is saying, come alongside. Come with me. Journey with me. Follow. We need to follow this example. We need to invite people into a place where we have the relationship and the context to really have a conversation with them. Because it's not an accidental happenstance showing our faith. If we don't actually go out of our way to create that relationship and intimacy and opportunity, it won't happen by itself. It's not just a a script or a tract or a program or an illustration. It's it's an offer to say, will you come alongside me and can I come alongside you? When someone asks about our weekend, when someone says, where are you going, what are you doing? When someone says, where do you live? We need to be able to say them, come and see, come and... Be part of my life. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. See, first we have this thing where John the Baptist witnesses to Andrew and then Andrew immediately witnesses to Simon who becomes Peter. A witness is a person who gives a first-hand account of something that they have seen or heard or experienced. And I love Andrew. Like I don't know that there's too many mentions of him in the Scripture where he's not bringing someone to Jesus. He's all about come and see. He's all about come check out this guy that I've met. So here in, uh, in John 6, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? Uh, and it says he only asked this to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He says, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? See, we have Andrew again. They're presented with this issue. And Andrew's like, I'm bringing people to Jesus. This kid's got a few sandwiches. I'll bring him to Jesus. John 12. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. is a pretty straight in. I don't know if you've heard of anyone one said, I want to know about Jesus. But Philip, he drops the ball. So he goes and tells Andrew. Thankfully, Andrew, again, knows what's going on. Andrew and Philip, in turn, tell Jesus. Andrew is all about bringing people to Jesus. Philip doesn't know what to do. These Greeks, they come to him. They're unsure. But Andrew is not embarrassed or ashamed. He's not afraid. He just takes him straight to Jesus. John... One forty-one. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. This word here, when it talks about that he looks at Peter, it, it, it doesn't just mean like he glances or he sees him. He, it means that he knows him. He looks at Peter, he sees through him, he understands. It's, a, it's almost like he, he's able to get right to the heart of the matter and then he prophesies to Peter. He says, you're Simon, but you will be Cephas, you will be Peter, you will be the rock. Peter's this impetuous, hot-headed, kind of obnoxious um, guy. He's not a rock by any chance, he's a shifting sand He's not the most competent or intelligent or successful. He's just like many of you. Uh, And he didn't know who he was meant to be or what he was meant to be doing. But Jesus saw through that. So then later on, uh, after they've been following for some time, Jesus in Matthew 16, he turns and he says, But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ." the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now I've just read two sections here and it's a little bit weird because Jesus is like, who do you say I am? And he's like, you're the, you're the Messiah. Uh, and he's like, that wasn't told to you by man. But if we go back the very first time that Peter meets Jesus, Andrew's like, this is the Messiah. And now Jesus is saying, well, no one told you that. Only you know God revealed this to you. What's the deal with this? And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't say to him, who have you heard that I am? Jesus doesn't say to him, What have you been told about me? Jesus says to him, who do you say I am? Because Jesus is not looking for hearsay; He is looking for a witness. He's looking for someone who has a first hand account of something they have seen or heard or experienced. And now instead of Peter being able to say, my friend Andrew here, my brother, is able to tell me that you are the Messiah. He is able to say with confidence, I have been with you and I know who you are. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus replies to him, this is something that has been revealed to you, not by man, but by father in heaven. Because he journeyed alongside Jesus and he followed Jesus and eventually he saw for himself. It wasn't hearsay because Jesus isn't looking for hearsay. He's looking for witnesses. He isn't looking for people to come up with a a, a very clever, well-crafted sinner's prayer contract that will ensure that they don't burn in hell. He's looking for followers. He's looking for people who have witnessed for themselves. So Simon, at this point, he steps into that word that was given to him by Jesus right when he first met him. He steps into that and he becomes this rock. He becomes the foundation of the early church. So what we need to do is we need to be witnesses. We can't just be people who've heard a rumour. We can't just be people who have hearsay, who listen to Jeff say that Jesus is the Messiah. You need to come alongside. You need to journey. You need to follow. You need to figure out where it is that Jesus lives. To be a witness means that we testify not just to what the scripture says and not just to what Jeff or someone else says, but we testify to our journey with Jesus. We have followed and we have seen and we have known. And the church should be a place where followers gather. It should be a place of safety and not shame. It should be a place of humility and not humiliation. It should be a place where we love and serve and rush together in unison, in one accord. It should be a place where we get underneath one another and lift each other up, where we encourage, where we support, where we honour, where we forgive, where we We live in such a way that the world would say there is something unique and defining about the way that those people love. And when others come alongside and follow with us, that after a time, they don't just say they think this is who Jesus is. They say, I know this for myself. I have seen and I have known and I have experienced who Jesus is. We as a body are a witness to the grace and love that Jesus shows. And even though we are broken and we err and we make mistakes and we don't always live in one accord, we are being made whole. We are being made into a spotless bride. And even though we were lost, we are found and we are together being more found. As a community... Uh, We are a group of broken people who are following together, who come alongside and encourage and support each other to to be like Jesus so that other people can join in on that and see for themselves so that we can invite people in and say, come and see for yourself. Many years ago, uh, and lots of you will remember this, but many years ago we met a guy named Jim Yost and he said the most important job of a pastor is to create environments for Christians and non-Christians to hang out. So so Andrew was like that. He kept creating environments for people to come and meet with Jesus, to come follow alongside with Jesus. And when we think about witnessing, when we think about evangelism, I want to encourage you to think about creating environments where Christians and non-Christians can come alongside one another and they can witness for themselves. Heavenly Father, I just ask that we would be better at this. I ask that we would love and serve and honour and uplift and encourage more, that we would be a place of humility and a place of freedom and a place of safety for, for all those that would, that would need shelter, all those who need respite, all those who need to be fed and all those who need to be loved and all those who are broken. Lord, I pray we would be a place where they can come alongside, where we can grow and follow and witness what you offer together. Uh, so that we can become mature and that we can do one accord and life on, on, and do those things in a way that brings you glory, but also represents your kingdom in this world. I pray we would be like Andrew and be constantly bringing people to you. That we would be inquisitive, that we would be interested, that we would have not a prescripted uh, way of, of sharing our faith, but we would do life with people. That we would sacrifice and get involved in people's space and in their lives and in and in doing so we would see your kingdom come. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can
1: I show... yeah. Right. yeah, go for it. You guys know um, Jackie and Grace, and um, they've always felt very welcome here. This is just along the lines of your sermon, but um, I often feel really disheartened because um, like Jackie and Grace have never given their lives to Jesus, and um, that's something that Maddie and I feel really sad about. But during during the week when Grace was over um, and Maddie was out, and very very rarely do they. Are they um, asking us questions and things? And I, I always feel like I don't want to like keep shoving Jesus at them if they're if they're not willing. Mm. But during the week, Grace asked me. Uh, she said, Megan, how can I be sure that I do end up in heaven? Mm. And I thought that was so beautiful that um, after years and years, mm. she could like she had the courage to ask me, and she knew that I was someone who she could ask that question to Mm. um and yeah all over again for the you know 100th time I got to share the really good news with Grace and you know she didn't say to me oh yeah I I really want to follow Jesus today but like it was just another opportunity that we had because we do share life with them to be able to say Jesus is actually really good and um, I'm so glad you're asking me this question and now I get to tell you the truth again um, and hope that just layer upon layer they come to realise that um, they want Jesus as their Lord too. So that was really encouraging. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Yeah. They're pretty much a family. Like grace is pretty much arousing me every day. Yeah, that was really encouraging. That's great. There was another part like you felt that it was the first time that Grace actually understood what you were saying. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's, there's such a huge cultural barrier, mm-hmm. huge cultural barrier, and like so much baggage um that sort of needs to be unpacked. Um, and it's really hard for us to be on the same page because of you just don't realise how how big a gap it is. And yeah, I felt like when I shared the good news with the sort of yet again it seems like oh i don't know it's hard to explain but it seems like we we miss each other Mm. and um yeah during the week I, i really did feel the holy spirit there with us and um i felt for the first time she had a new understanding and um yeah she said to me i've just i never i never knew that was the case and i thought how (laughs) like how did you not know that was the case like i can pinpoint 10 times where i've told her that's the case but it's just you know i don't know so i really did feel like during the week something clicked and she was like wow and she said to me no wonder some people in vietnam are choosing to be christian (laughs) yeah because i told her like I compared it to um, you know, when a, like a telemarketer sort of calls you and says something like, there's a little Indian on the other end of the line and "Oh, you won 10 million dollars." <laughs> and you hang up, and she's like, "You know, um, I said to her, "If, if someone tells you something good, too good to be true, like you say, oh, "That's too good oh, to be yeah. true." And I said, "But in the case of the gospel, like you haven't actually heard the good news unless you go all oh, that. Too good to be true. Um
0: and she's like, yeah, wow. Oh, cool. These guys really are a little a lot like Andrew in that respect. When they lived here, people would come to the house to do stuff and these guys would be inviting them along. <laughs> Had some some strange ones. <laughs> Awesome. We're going to have a meeting in the next couple of weeks at some point—an all-in community meeting—to say what the hell, team. Um, if we're going to do this together. We should try to turn up because uh, there is obviously a, a diminishing number of people—not who are committed to our community, but a diminishing number of people who choose to be here each week—and that's makes it. I think it makes it harder. It makes it disheartening. Uh, so we're going to have a a meeting of sorts. Hopefully, we will. It won't be ten people. That would be awkward if I call a community meeting and no one turns up um, what is the same yeah. yeah yeah the same the same uh, the same handful of people because it is way more fun when we actually are all f- fully invested and uh, and we need to get an idea of where we're at and where we're going, so that will be happening. It's just a question of when is the best time to try and have a meeting like that, like do we block out a Sunday instead of a service because we know that at least this many people are available. Uh, do we try and do it in an evening sometime on a different? Like I don't know. What do you guys reckon? Probably the same Sunday time, I think. Yeah. Just
1: because
0: yeah, you're
1: right. Like if this many people show up at this time, it's going to be even harder to get more people to show up at a different time. Yeah. Like on a Sunday still, please. Like, would um, you take the day off? Or if we do it at like 12 instead, would that look better? Yeah, maybe. like during lunch or after lunch? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. lunch. Maybe after lunch, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is
0: mm-hmm. this separate to the AGM? Uh, well, it we, we also have the AGM, but the AGM is just like a pretty seriously boring administrative thing. It, not even like you. You literally have to write out what's going to be in the AGM beforehand, mm. and then you sit down and you just go through the motions like it is. I don't want to go to that. It's so not <laughs> thrilling. Like if you want to come to any of our committee meetings, they're like an open thing. There's no secrecy there. But come to a regular meeting; they're way more exciting. We have a regular meeting yeah. 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 So we try to stack them up, but they. Like, there's only two meetings generally in the entire year that are even remotely exciting. Um, and that's when we do the pledge and we're like, are we broke? Uh, and then the one after the end of the financial year where they decide whether or not they can afford to give me a CPA, CPI pay bump. So normally I, get, normally I get a pay bump and then they reduce my hours because we don't have enough money to pay for it. So <laughs> it's, it's uh, pretty great. <laughs> but, yeah, otherwise the meetings are generally pretty unexciting. So. Okay, so I will think about that and figure something out. I'll try and preach on, like, the book of Revelation or something that week, then everyone will turn up. So. No, I no, would not. Yeah. Really? No,
1: no. Revelation's hard,
0: man. Yeah. Revelation's amazing, and, and it's so badly handled by Western churches. What do you mean? You wouldn't think that was fun? No. I'm messy church
1: with the walking people. It's bad again. Just offer people like, food and money. Offer people food and money. Wow,
0: that's very wise. Yeah, that's great. Right, we should eat. Go forth, eat.
1: At least
0: one of you is multiplying.